Bible in front of you, 786. In chapter 3, verse 1, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to the Shaginoth. That's a musical term. Nobody has any idea what it means. Kind of like Selah. We don't really know, so it's just there. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. So Habakkuk was remembering, just like we do this weekend. We remember. Rabbi Abraham Heschel said this, Much of what the Bible demands can be comprised in one imperative, to remember. We remember what God has done, and because we remember what God has done, we have confidence for what God will do. And when we are in the midst of perplexing situations, we remember. When we are in the midst of the storms of life, we remember. When we are at wit's end and we don't know what to do or where to go, we remember. And that's what Habakkuk is doing. The Babylonians were coming as mighty warriors. They were dreadsome and fearsome. Their horses were swifter than eagles. And so Habakkuk says, Lord, are you sure you know what you're doing? And God's like, I got this. You live by faith. So then Habakkuk taunts the Babylonians in chapter 2, and he lists all the woes of the things that were going to come to the Babylonians. And now in chapter 3, Habakkuk offers a prayer psalm to the Lord. It's a prayer, it's a psalm of God's salvation of his people from Egypt. The Israelites were delivered from Egypt. It is celebrated on Passover. That's their Remembrance Day. It's their Memorial Day, the Feast of Passover, when the Lord delivered them out of the hands of Egypt. And so what Habakkuk does is he presents God as a mighty warrior. Think of God as a mighty warrior as we begin in verse 3 of chapter 3. God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. Let's start over again. That doesn't quite do it. God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Praise flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence, and plague followed at his feet. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered, the everlasting remembered this warrior God who delivered his people from the land of Egypt. And so what does Habakkuk do after he lays 
the, his soul bare before the Lord about his concern, he turns to praise the Lord as the only one who can meet his concern. Now here's the tension, and maybe you find this tension in your life as well. God was the cause of the Babylonians coming to bring justice to the Israelites who were wicked. He caused the turmoil that was about to come, but God also is the comfort, and so we live in that tension. And that's where Habakkuk was. He says, Lord, do you know what you're doing? These people are more wicked than the people they're coming to punish, and the chaos that's going to ensue, and the death and the destruction as the Lord is coming. And so God is both the cause, but he's also the comfort. And how do we live in that tension of this sovereign God who is in charge of this world, who is the one who can bring justice? And Habakkuk is at that place. He praises the Lord who delivered his people from Teman, from the south, to Mount Paran, which is where they got the uh, Ten Commandments. He said, Lord, you're the one who delivered us out of Egypt. And this awful trembling that we see at Mount Sinai when the Lord gave Moses the Ten Commandments, the, trem- the mountain shook and the smoke came down and-, and God was this mighty warrior. And Habakkuk relives that imagery. God is a splendor of light. Heaven and earth are full of his radiant glory. It's far greater than the brilliance of the rising sun or the blaze of sun at midday. If you go outside right now and look at the sun, God is more radiant than that. Habakkuk is saying, this is, the, this is the Lord. God, remember what you've done. Would you, would you repeat what you've done? And there's earthquakes, and the earthquakes would terrify the Kushan and the Midian. And so God has this wrath against the earth, and he's using the forces of nature. This is that Old Testament kind of God, <laughs> the one who brings justice and, and shakes the earth. And so Habakkuk sees God, he's coming as this divine warrior, and he's going to stand in opposition to those who are God's enemies, those who are enemies of his people. And God uses these celestial weapons on behalf of his earthly people. He splits the seas, just like he did the Red Sea when the Israelites came out, and the Jordan River when they went into the Promised Land. His armory includes these bows and these arrows. And so Habakkuk paints us a picture of this God who is this mighty warrior. Now, doesn't this create a problem? I mean, when you think about it, God's wrath, And this mighty warrior, they're coming against people who are opposed to him and who are not doing his will, who don't know him and love him. This creates a problem because we would all be sunk with all this talk of plague, pestilence, and earthquakes, and flying arrows, and flashing spears. And many people relate to God in this way. Think about your image of God. How do you see him? Do you see God, as Habakkuk just described him, as this God of flying arrows and spears and of wrath and of anger and of revenge against his enemies? But Habakkuk has, in the middle of this psalm, at the beginning of the psalm, actually, back up to verse 2, he says, O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it, or do it again, Lord. In the midst of the years, make it known. We want to remember. And then there's this little phrase. In wrath, remember mercy. The heart of the gospel is in the book of Habakkuk. In wrath, 
remember mercy. Let's say that together. In wrath, remember mercy. That is the God that we serve. Habakkuk's prayer should be our prayer as well. We look at this God in the Old Testament and we say, wow, how he is so different from the God we see in the New Testament. That's because we're looking at him the wrong way. Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. Moses is now doing the second set of the Ten Commandments. And we read on your notes, it says, The Lord passed before him, that's Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God. And how is God described? Merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That's the God whose Habakkuk is remembering in your wrath, Remember mercy. Both wrath and mercy are part of this multifaceted nature of God. Even when his people willfully ignore him or blatantly disobey him, the love of God is shown to his people in spite of their actions toward him. How do you relate to God this morning? Do you see God as that warrior God of flashing arrows and lightning bolts? Habakkuk is not talking about universalism, that God will ultimately forgive everybody all the wrongs they've ever committed and restore everyone to a right relationship with himself. It's a prayer that if and when someone repents and turns to God, to their creator, he will restore them and forgive them and bring them to himself. And so verse 2 encapsulizes not only the, the whole book of Habakkuk, but it encapsulizes the message of the gospel as well. How is that? Well, God will relate to people based on their relationship with him. Here's the two ways that God will relate Habakkuk talks about. The first is this divine warrior, that those who oppose him and his people, uh, the people that oppose God and his people will experience the warrior of wrath. That's what Habakkuk is talking about. Look at verse 12. You march through the earth in fury. You thresh the nations in anger. That's a, that's a divine warrior God. But the other way God relates to people is a gracious Savior. Those who are in God's will, those who are in Christ, will know this warrior as the gracious Savior and deliver. See, this knowledge is the real answer to Habakkuk's inquiries. Habakkuk is going in the book and he's saying, Lord, the Babylonians are wicked. They're treacherous. Yes, I see the evil of your people and I want you to deal with that. But you're bringing this people that is more wicked and more uh, uh, treacherous than the people you're dealing with. And the answer to Habakkuk's inquiries are chapter 3, verse 2. In your wrath, remember mercy. That's the answer Habakkuk's been looking for. How is God going to do this? How is God going to bring the Babylonians to come and bring judgment on his people who need discipline, who, who God said, if you don't follow me and obey me, you're going to be expelled from the land. And that's exactly what the Babylonians are going to do. They're going to come in. They're going to take the Israelites into captivity. But Habakkuk gets the answer he's really looking for. And if you think about it, it's the answer we're really looking for as well. God, in your wrath, remember mercy. We look at all the things that happen in life and all the hard things that happen in life. And, 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 our, and our cry is not, Lord, I want justice. That should never be our cry with the Lord. Because justice means I get what my sin deserves. But I want mercy from the Lord, don't you? I don't want justice. I don't want God to say, Jeff, you are 
have sinned in all of these ways, and the penalty is your life, eternity in hell, separated from me. That's justice. That is what is fair. But when we come to God, we say, God, in your wrath, (laughs) remember mercy. God will punish the wicked Babylonians and save his people. Why is God saving his people? Because years down the road, there's going to come one from the line of David. His name is Jesus. And God is saving this remnant of his people to bring forth the Messiah. And God says, in my wrath, I'm going to remember mercy. And the ultimate mercy is the Messiah is going to come from these very people. God remembers. And so God in Habakkuk looks like this fearful God, and he is. But we need to understand that the gospel is here in Habakkuk. Because what happens is sin provokes God's anger. God's anger is not some irrational lack of self-control. Have you ever experienced that kind of anger? Yes, you have. Quit lying. You have. You're just flying off the handle and you're upset. And in a little while you calm down and you're like, whew, I was kind of an idiot there. Like you would never admit it to anyone, but you're like to yourself, like, whew, I kind of went overboard there a little bit. Why? Because it's, it's this irrational anger that comes from a lack of self-control. And that's the kind of anger that we experience in ourselves and with other people. But God's anger is different. His anger is the settled opposition of his holy nature to everything that is evil. God is pure, he's holy, and everything that is not pure and everything that is not holy, his character is opposed to that. Did you know God's anger is a settled opposition to the way that sin mars his image in us? You and I are created in God's image. Genesis chapter 1, he created them in his image. Male and female, he created them. He created us. You are created in God's image. We are to reflect our creator, as if we're looking into a mirror. And do you know what sin does to us? Sin mars that creation. It's like we take a little can of spray paint. We start painting over that mirror. We start to vandalize the image. And so now I'm not accurately reflecting God's image. And God looks and he says, I have created you to live this life, this life in harmony with me. But your sin has separated you from me. Your sin has marred your image, my image in you. And God hates that. He does. He looks at us as, as his creation. And he says, you could, you could be so much more than you're experiencing. You could reflect me in such, in, such, in, in such far better ways. But what you're doing is marring my image in you. And God hates that. God wants more for us than we want for ourselves. You know, we're pretty content when we look in the mirror, I think. Except for the hair that's falling out and getting gray and the wrinkles. We're not content with those. But with us, generally, we're like, hey, that's a pretty good guy. That's a pretty good lady looking back at me. But God says, I see far more in you than what you see in yourself. I see what sin is doing in your life. I see how sin is destroying and taking your joy. The thief comes to what? To steal, to kill, and to what? Destroy. And God hates that. He hates that in us. He sees the the potential that we have. And so what does God do? His natural thing is to get angry. If you've ever had your car vandalized, were you happy or were you angry? You should have been angry. 
You go out and there's no tires. And the, there you go, there's marks all over. Why? Because it's been vandalized and it, it stirs in us something. And that's what happens with God when he looks at us and sees us created in his image. It, it invokes his wrath. And that's why his wrath is against sin. And so what it requires is, it requires much, something much more substantial to, to turn away this wrath. And the Bible says that it's the cross that did that. Now Habakkuk, is living under the old covenant. We are under the new covenant, and we know something Habakkuk did it. We knew about Jesus. You see, Jesus in Habakkuk's day was still the promised Messiah that was coming in the future. But we on this side of the cross can look back. And what do we do? We look back and we remember what's been done for us. And so we come and we say, Lord, I remember what you've done in Jesus. Lord, I remember, I see what you've done in Jesus. And the cross is Habakkuk's answer to wrath. In your wrath, remember mercy. Because that's exactly what God did in Jesus. 1 John chapter 2 says this. He, Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, this is not the only way to look at the cross, but it's an important way to look at it. If God's anger is real then it must be taken into account in the way that sin has caused this wrath is dealt with. So God's anger is against sin, and so sin has to be dealt with because that's where God's anger is directed. And if you look on your notes, there are two ways that that word is translated, depending on the translation that's used. And one of the ways is this. He is the propitiation for our sins. It's not a word that we use a whole lot. But the other word is, he's the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And so both of those terms signify what God did for us in Jesus. And if there's nothing else that you hear today, I want you to get this. I want you to get what God did for you in Jesus. A propitiation is something of value or importance that's given or passed along from one person to another person. It takes the form of a gift, an offering, a payment, or a sacrifice offered up by one person to another person. This gift can be anything that is acceptable to the recipient. So in this case... The gift that's offered is a person. It's Jesus himself. Atoning sacrifice also communicates, and it says we make atonement for someone. When we understand that when we've offended someone, and we start to think, how can I make up for this? That's atonement. Atonement is, how can I make up for the wrong that I have done? How can I, how can I cover this over? How can I make things right again? Some of us have had to do that at times. We forget an anniversary. Now I know it's on Tuesday. Thank you, Chrissy. <laughs> Some of us forget birthdays. And uh, guys, if you forget an anniversary or birthday, they have these little, great little places you can stop. It's called the florist, and you get an uh-oh bouquet. Do you know what an uh-oh bouquet is? You get the biggest, old, overpriced bouquet that you can get. And uh, like two days after you forgot about your anniversary, you go home and knock on the door and you put that bouquet between you and your bride, right? You put, she opens the door. What is that bouquet? It's an atonement. You're trying to make up and appease and, and to smooth over, right? That's what we do. And so what happens is when God was angry at sin, Jesus 
was the bouquet that was offered. Jesus is the one who made up for it. Jesus is the one who turns away God's wrath. And so this is why Habakkuk, in your wrath, remember mercy is the heart of the gospel. On the cross, Jesus is offering himself to the Father to turn away God's wrath. That's why we're here. That's why we gather as a church. That's why we are part of this great thing called the kingdom of God. Jesus is this kind of an offering. It's the offering that turns away God's wrath. Now, God is angry because of sins. Now, now John says that Jesus, if you go back to that verse again, he is the propitiation for our sins. He is the atoning sacrifice for what? For our sins. Who is that? That's you and that's me. Jesus is the offering. He is the propitiation for our sins. We have brought God's wrath upon us by our sins. My sin has brought God's wrath upon me, and so has yours. And we live in a world since the Garden of Eden where we always want to blame someone else. God holds us accountable for us in, the, in, in, in his presence. It is just me before my creator. I cannot blame anyone else. I can't hold anybody else responsible. I am responsible and accountable for my sin. It's not your fault. No one makes you angry. You choose to be angry in response to the circumstance. And whenever we say someone else makes me do something, we are not taking responsibility for our sin. And 1 John says that Jesus was the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So I deserve God's wrath. Do you know, in all fairness, we should be in hell for eternity because of our sins. We should. That's fairness. That is justice. But the gospel is this. Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. He presents himself as an offering on the cross. Why? To divert God's wrath away from us. Jesus put himself in my place. This is the good news. And I've said it before, but I think the good news somehow gets lost. We make church and being a Christian, a follower of Jesus, far more than what it is. The good news is this. You and I deserve hell because of our sins. That's not such good news, but in wrath, remember mercy. But because of Jesus, he took God's wrath on him that was due me. That's the gospel. This is how Jesus becomes the propitiation for our sins. That's how Jesus becomes the atoning sacrifice of, for our sins. What it means is on the cross, Jesus satisfied the wrath of God so that you and I don't have to experience it. Now, if that doesn't make you excited, I don't know what will. Indianapolis 500 won't do anything for you if that doesn't get you wound up. You and I deserve God's wrath. But because when we're in Jesus, the wrath is turned away from us and it's put on Jesus. Do you know what that does? 
Man, that, that breaks your heart. That's why we worship Jesus. That's why we serve Jesus. That's why we love Jesus. Because we forget the enormity of what happened on the cross. That the wrath that was due me. We need to stop talking in general terms when we talk about the cross and say, I'm the sinner. It was my sin that put him there until all that was accomplished on the cross. We like to generalize and say, the world, the country, the this, the that. We need to start saying it was me. It was me. It was you too, but it was me. It was my sin that put Jesus there. And look at ourselves for what we are, sinners that deserve God's wrath. But in Christ, the wrath was turned away from us and put onto Jesus. Now, what do you think about Jesus? Man, he did that. The one who never sinned. You know, God was never angry at Jesus. We get angry at our kids all the time. They never do what we want them to do. Um, They go through that stage in life from about 12 to 18 where they're deaf, dumb, and blind. You ask them to do something, you can't. It's right in front of them. They can't see it. I walk right past it. Hey, can you go get something? They bring back the wrong thing. It's just that crazy thing, right? We go through that. But you know what? Jesus always did what the Father wanted. Never let him down. He was the one who saw clearly. He was the one who spoke clearly. He was the one who could see all that needed to be done. And Jesus never let his father down. And yet, the father, what? Put on to Jesus, the sinless one, our sins. Our sins. My sin and your sin. How do you relate to God? Because in the book of Habakkuk, remember Habakkuk was questioning. And he's saying, Lord... I'm looking around and I'm seeing my my fellow countrymen, the the Israelites, are treating each other treacherously. There is sin. And Habakkuk cries out to the Lord, Lord, how long are you going to look at this? And the Lord says, I've got it covered, Habby. I'm bringing in the Babylonians. What? Surely, God, you don't know what you're doing because they're worse than we are. We like to compare, don't we? Oh, they're worse than we are. The what about ism, right? Well, what about so-and-so? No, what about me? Not what about so-and-so. What about me? And so God's bringing, and Habakkuk's like, Lord, um, you really know what you're doing? God's like, you live by faith. You trust me. I'm going to bring this through. And so what does Habakkuk do? He comes back to this place where he's, Listen, God's going to do what God's going to do. And he's going to bring in the Babylonians. And so Habakkuk's prayer in the middle of this is, Oh Lord, in your wrath, remember mercy. God's like, I got you covered. I got you. I can specialize in mercy. How do we know? Exodus 34, the Lord is what? Merciful and gracious. God is slow to anger. Listen, when you have no beginning and no end, everything you do is slow. One year, a hundred years, a thousand years, it's slow. And so God is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. How do you relate to God? Do you relate to God as that divine warrior who is just out to get you, who is out to punish you, who is out to make your life miserable? We can view God that way. We absolutely can. We often say, Lord, why did you do this to me? Lord, don't you see what's happening around me? And if I am in Christ, listen, if you are a believer in Jesus, 
Here is the good news. I can rest assured that only the love of God is being poured out upon me because the Father has already poured out his wrath upon Jesus, my propitiation. God is not mad at you. He's not. And if you are living your life like God is ticked off at you, you are forgetting what you have in Jesus. You are not living by the good news of the gospel. You are not living by the reality of God's mercy in the midst of wrath. If you are in Jesus. Now listen, if you're not in Jesus, God is angry at your sin and you need to do something about it. Receive that gift of salvation of Jesus. Jesus then is my substitute. He takes on my sin. And then the wrath that was owed me has been what? It has been placed on Jesus. You know what this does? It eliminates fear. How many times have you thought in your life when you have done something, you feel like God's just right there? Remember that teacher in school that wore the soft-soled shoes? You couldn't hear him coming up the aisle. And you're working on your work. What are you doing? Scare me to death. We view God that way. Like that teacher that's just sneaking around just waiting for you to do something wrong. And slam! If that's your view of God and you are in Christ, you have the wrong view of God. Your wrath that was due you has already been poured out on Jesus. It already has! That's the good news of the gospel, is that all that was due me. Now listen, does God still discipline? Absolutely. That doesn't mean he's not going to correct me. That doesn't mean he's not going to discipline me. The Bible says that uh, just like parents discipline their children, God disciplines those he loves. And so sometimes in that matter of discipline, God will bring some things, right, to, to bring me back to him. But the wrath and the anger because of my sin has been taken care of because of Jesus. Well, what if I sin? What happens if I mess up? You know what we do? We've been doing this since the Garden of Eden. We hide. How many times have you been really excited to come to church because you felt like you had a good week and you didn't sin very much? And then you had those weeks where you really messed up and you're like, I think I'm going to sleep in today. We've all been there. The problem is on the weeks that you think you haven't sinned very much, you haven't really had a good evaluation of your life because in God's eyes, you sinned a whole lot. You just didn't do the big things everybody thinks is terrible. You see, what do I do when I mess up? What we do is we tend to avoid. We tend to hide out. We tend to say, "Mm, I'm not so sure that I want to go worship today. I'm not so sure that I want to hang out with other believers again. And so what we do is we withdraw and we hide out. Do you know why we hide out? Because we fear people more than we fear God. We are looking for the approval of people over the approval that we already have from our Heavenly Father because Jesus is our propitiation. When you mess up, when you sin, and when you fail, that price has been paid for you. You repent and you confess, right? And you do all those things, but there's no need to hide out. There isn't. The wrath that's been due you has been poured out on Jesus. And the church has not been a good place to do that. We want you all tidied up and clean. Don't want to hear about anything that's going on. Why? Because even though God's anger is not poured out on you, oftentimes others' anger is. Philip Yancey said, we get very angry at people who sin differently than we do. 
somehow we set ourselves up that we are to be angry because of your sin. Listen, my heart needs to break for other sin. My heart needs to break for my sin. But I don't need to get angry about your sin because that's already been taken care of on the cross in Jesus, my propitiation. I confess my sin, but I don't have to atone for it. And people will spend their entire lives trying to atone for their sin. You know how they do that? They say, well, I sinned, I messed up, and so now I'm going to make it up. And I'm going to pray every day. I'm going to read my Bible every day. And I'm going to go work in the soup kitchen. I'm going to be nice. And I'm actually going to let people cut in front of me on the tra- in traffic. And I'm going to do all these things. I'm just going to make up for it. And we spend our entire lives trying to atone. And guess what? It doesn't work. Because the first time I don't let somebody cut in, I'm back to where I started. The first day I don't read my Bible, I'm already back to where I started. And so we try to atone for our own sin. We try to make up for the things that we've done. You can't make up for the things that you've done. And we want other people to make up for the things that they have done. Oh man, you know why? You know how we do that? Through our memories. You see, we forget. We don't remember God's uh, wrath that was poured out on Jesus and now we have mercy. What we remember is everybody else's shortcomings. And we will bring that up every chance we get. Ooh-wee. Remember when you did this? I remember when you did that. Oh, yeah, you're a jerk. Well, you're a bigger jerk. You're a super triple jerk. And we go back and forth. And in that, what do I need? I need to remember what? I'm remembering the wrong things. I remember Jesus, who took God's wrath from me. He's my propitiation. I've heard people say that, and they're kind of joking, and maybe they're not so much joking, and they say, hey, why don't you come to church? Oh, you don't know what I've done. If I go to church, the roof's going to fall in. I'm like, dude, these laminated beams with those three-inch pine boards on the top have survived derechos, high winds, hail, snow, Who do you think you are that when you step foot into the building, the building's going to collapse? You need to get over yourself. You're not that important. Right? We say, oh, if I walk in, the building's going to collapse. No, 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 no. It won't. What happens is we are making ourselves far more important than God. The building's not going to collapse when you step into it. In fact, it should rejoice that you have stepped into it. Because now we understand that the wrath of God has been poured out on Jesus and not on us. You see, I need to see myself in relationship to God as a gracious Savior when I am in Christ. That's the good news of the gospel. And I know some of you are struggling. So you, have, you have had parents and teachers and pastors and authority people treat you with the wrath and just treat you with all of the heaviness. And so when we relate to God, we relate to God in the same way that somehow God is ticked at me. Somehow God is not happy with me. Somehow God is out to get me. Sometimes when we ask those why questions, isn't it true when we say, Lord, why me? Where that's what we're really asking. Lord, out of 7 billion people on this planet, why me? I remember when Christy's mom had cancer years ago. She never asked, why me? She always said, why not me? Who do I think I am that I'm so far above the rest of humanity that I'm never going to get cancer? Who am I that I think I'm so far above the rest of humanity that I'm never going to die? 
Who am I that I'm so far above the rest of humanity that I'm never going to have relationship problems, that I'm never going to have financial difficulties, that my kids won't like me or talk to me sometime, that my coworkers won't like me, that I have a job that I hate, that the world is going to hell in a handbasket? Who am I? Why not me? Why not me? But in Jesus, listen, in Jesus, the wrath of God has been poured on him, and God's not angry at you. He likes you. In in Christ, all of that has been taken care of. And so Jesus comes as this gracious Savior, and he saves us from our sin. How do you relate to God today? How are you relating to God? Are you resting in the assurance, and this is where Habakkuk had to land, and this is where we have to land as well, that no matter what happens in life, no matter the hard circumstances that I may not get an answer for, all of those things, can I say, Lord, in that you are still merciful to me. That it's your love that's being poured out on me because your wrath was poured out on Jesus. Man, that'll revolutionize your faith. And that's what God wants for Habakkuk. That's what God wants for us, is for our faith to be revolutionized in the midst of the revolution. Of all the chaos, everything that's going on. You know, Jesus came as a gracious Savior, and one day he's coming as a divine warrior. Hebrews chapter 9 says this, It's appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting for him. You see, we're much like Habakkuk. We're waiting for the justice to come. And we're waiting for Jesus to come when all the records will be set straight, all the scales will be balanced, every right will be made wrong, everything will be evened out. And so the second time Jesus comes, it's coming as what? As a divine warrior. But if he is our now our gracious Savior, we don't have to worry about that either. We can wait in eagerly, eager expectation. We don't have to fear. Philippians 2 says this, Therefore God has highly exalted him, that's Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, So that the name of Jesus, what's it say? Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, it's either by choice or by force, but every knee is going to bow. We have an opportunity now to do it by choice. To say, Lord, I bow before you as my Savior. I bow before you as my propitiation. I bow before you as my mercy. I am accepting by faith what you have done for me on the cross, that the wrath of God is turned away from me and onto Jesus, so that when he comes again, I will bow my knee in adoration and not in defeat of surrender. That's what we do. That's why we're here. That's why we gather. That's why we have, this, have a kingdom that we're a part of in the, in the church of Jesus, because God will be acknowledged one way or the other. And Jesus says, in the meantime, just like Habakkuk, you live by your faith. You acknowledge me. You look at my sacrifice for you as this gracious Savior. And when I return, your knees are going to bow in humble adoration. You know, every Lord's Day, every Sunday we get together is an anniversary of the resurrection. Jesus rose when? First day of the week. Lord's Day, Sunday, Jesus rose from the dead. And so every Sunday, it's not just a once a year thing, it's an every week thing. Why is it every week? Because we are very prone to forget. And so God says, I want you to have an anniversary 
celebration, the bride of Christ celebrating what the groom has done on the cross by turning away God's wrath, I want you to have an anniversary every Lord's Day to remember what I have done. In your wrath, remember mercy. That's the good news. How how are you relating to God? How do you see God? Do you see him differently? Do you see him as this gracious Savior in your life? We're going to come to a time just to remember Jesus in communion. As we remember what he has done for us. Our propitiation. Our atoning sacrifice. The one who took our place. The one who took the wrath of God from us. And is on Jesus. And now the love of God is poured out on us. Because the wrath has been poured out on him. And we celebrate that. God has done something for us in Jesus. Yes, it's forgiveness. Yes, it's all of those things. But God's not mad at you. The whole world can be mad at us. And oftentimes they are, for sometimes valid reasons, and for oftentimes assumptions and not valid reasons. But listen, in Christ, God is not mad at you. In wrath, what? Remember, what's the word, church? Tell me, remember Mercy! That's why we're here. Doug and Martin, if you guys want to come, we're going to pass out the elements. You just take some time to remember God's wrath was given in mercy in Jesus Christ.